What's up, everybody? It's time for a special Ghost Cult Magazine podcast. Today's podcast is a tribute episode to Dave Brocky, a.k.a. Odorous Urungus of Gore. Dave Brocky's birthday would have been August 30th, and he passed away back in 2014. Right before his untimely death, Ghost Cult's Omar Cordy caught up with Dave for a wide-ranging, lengthy audio interview that later ran in an issue of the original Ghost Cult magazine. This never-before-aired audio interview uh, is being heard for the first time on this podcast. Check it out. Let's start at the beginning. Wow, roughly 30 years you've been doing this. Yeah, it's true. Go to full day. It's been a blur. How do you deal with being in a guar and your personal life? Well, it's always been a, a juggling act, you know. Um, luckily, I'm not married. I, I don't uh, have any significant others. Um, uh, I don't have any kids. So you know well. So that I know. But I think by now, I would have, if I had accidentally procreated, uh, I would have known it. And certainly, I've been the center of a couple fraternity suits and uh, always ready to do the right thing if, 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 if truly that had happened. But um, luckily, I've been smart enough or fortunate enough, or perhaps I'm just sterile. I don't know. But uh, so far, I have not reproduced myself accidentally, even when I fell down the stairs on that porn star uh, in uh, L.A. But um, no, no kids. And it's, you know, the fact that uh, basically, you know, my family all lives in England. So uh, basically, I've been able to put all of my time and energy into this project. And, uh, you know, it, so I don't really have uh, a family that I leave behind, which is, is difficult, I know, for a lot of guys in bands, especially when they have kids. And, uh, you know, by design, I decided, you know, if I'm going to be the lead singer and one of the leading guys in making this thing happen, I'm going to limit that as much as possible. So basically, you know, Guar is my family. And, you know, I take my family with me everywhere. And, you know, it still will wreak havoc on anyone's life, definitely. But, um, you know, that's what we do. If people are, are bitching and complaining about it, I'll, you know, I say to them, you know, well, how about if you were in the military and you had to leave for like a year and a half at a time? And even worse than that, six months go by and your family doesn't even know where you are. You know, like on your a nuclear submarine or some stupid special forces mission or whatever. I mean, hardship and deprivation are things we have to go through in order to chase our dreams. And the crazier the dreams, probably the more you're going to suffer in your personal life. So as long as you kind of understand that from the get-go, then uh, you don't have anything to bitch about. When you were writing music, like I know you have like your David uh, David Brocky experience. And Guar, do you have her? Chris, is it easier to separate the writing of the two? Or no, it's not. Um, I, I, by nature, tend to write really silly three chord punk rock comedy songs. You know, like if you go back and listen to the Guar records, uh, you know, songs like Fish Fuck and and Sick of You, and, and a lot of the more simple ones are the ones that I wrote. But like when Guar started becoming a little more uh, metal heavy and especially with like violence has arrived when we really started like this is we've gone through enough permutations enough stylistic changes this is where we want to be this is what Guar sounds best doing um so you know we kind of stuck with it since then um but at that point my ability to write songs was not really so needed by the band because I had really excellent musicians that were younger than me that were able to just rip out incredible metal riffs at that point I just became more concerned with just the arranging and the writing of the vocals and that was really a good thing because uh you know the music kept uh progressing and I was able to concentrate on what I did best which was write lyrics and arrange lyrics and arrange vocal parts and uh I think really the band 
I don't like a lot of bands. You know, our band has been getting better over the years. You know, it's like it, it, it took a long time just to even figure out how to really deal with playing in these suits. You know, it's like a lot of bands that like might deride our abilities, musicians. Well, they just really haven't listened very hard, and they probably haven't listened to a Guar album ever, except for maybe the first couple. And you know, it's like I defy anyone out there to wear 60 pounds of bloody latex. You know, while a giant dinosaur is trying to rip your nuts off and still deliver killer metal. And uh, that's hopefully what we've been able to do. Like with 12 albums so far, is it harder? And does it get harder? 13. Harder? Oh, sorry, 13 albums. Is it harder to come up with set lists nowadays? Or? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Because, you know, we want to play stuff that's representative of the band in, uh, you know, from the many different styles we've gone through. We, we'd like to be able to play at least one of every album, but that doesn't happen. You know, so often we'll miss entire albums. We're like, whoa, we didn't play a single one. Why didn't you play Fishbuck or whatever? It's just like 13 records, you know, at least 10 songs a record. That's a lot of freaking songs. So, yeah, it's hard to pick out the ones you want to play the best. And it, it, it's very hard. I mean, all those lyrics... I mean, I'm really good at remembering stuff. Like, I uh, I have a terrible memory for just about everything except, uh, you know, like paying bills and, like, you know, remembering someone's phone number, forget about it. But as far as lyrics, like, I can pull out stuff from, like, you know, Vicki Lawrence's The Night the Lights Went Out in Georgia. For some some reason, like, those lyrics will be burned into my brain forever. But even then, a lot of those Guar songs are so verbose. There's so many lyrics in them. You know, I had no idea what I was talking about. They're like, this is what you were saying. I'm like, whoa, I wrote that so uh, yeah yeah there's a lot of review involved uh, and uh, you know a lot of rehearsal and you know, that's just what we do yeah, I do respect that you guys actually pay attention to your legacy because a lot of bands it's like they'll play maybe one song from the record and he's play like their very first three or four albums and it's like hey you guys have been playing for like 20 plus years you're missing a whole decades yeah. of material yeah it's, it's hard to keep up on that because like all Guar fans have their like favorite song all Guar fans had their favorite album and you know at this point now some of those albums are 25 years old which is just absolutely freaking mind-blowing to me when I was a kid it was like bands generally came out they'd have a couple good albums and they would put out a couple more crappy albums and they would be done I mean freak the, the Beatles but they were only, only played live for like six years or something like that and Hendrix his whole career was you know over like a four-year period you know I mean granted he'd been playing lots of bands up until the experience but you know he had you know basically the his real time to shine was just such a short period of time now bands kind of you know led by like the Rolling Stones and others they go on forever and uh, so Guar has just had a great opportunity to just continue to progress and evolve as musicians and um, you know I've told a lot of people that I always thought Guar was the band by design that would last a thousand years and one of these days, when I'm too old to do this anymore, you know, I will handpick and hand train my successor, and the son of Odorous will be born, and, and that way Guar can continue on until the next century and beyond. That will be a very, very magical, be the craziest day. I'll be very. A lot of people are like, oh, you know, we miss Slim Minister, we miss, you know, it's like, sure, Guar back in those days, it was great. We had like this executioner and so many extra yeah. characters. I mean, those were really like the glory days of Guar when, when we had like two tour buses full of people and every song there was at least three people getting their heads ripped off. But like at a certain point, we just realized it's like we can't keep doing it this way. We have to kind of 
trim it back just a little bit. If we really want this band to go as far and be successful as I think it can be, you know, we've got to be able to come up with a plan for the future. And, you know, the plan is to keep rocking and there doesn't seem to be any kind of end in sight. And as long as we're putting out music that's, that's good, and as long as people are, are still having fun with it, and as, first and foremost, as long as we're still having fun with it, then Guar can continue forever. There's still so many things we haven't done with Guar yet that we want to do. You know, we haven't done a video game. You know, we haven't done... We've been in plenty of other people's video games. We've been in plenty of other people's movies, but we've never had our own. And uh, hopefully that will happen one of these days. Yeah, one of my friends, uh, was, you were one of my friend's movie, uh, James Balsamo, here in one of his... Uh, oh, sure. Yeah, James is great. Yeah, we did a movie together called Jack last year. Nah, he is such a shameless self-promoter, and I love that. It's like it doesn't even matter if his movies are any good or not. He's going to be in your face with it. He's going to be at the horror convention, and he's going to be getting people to pay attention to him. He's kind of like the next uh, Lloyd Kaufman, you know? Yeah, I respect it a lot because it makes me like, all right, it keeps me. I do a lot of film work, I do camera work, and write and direct. So I'm like, all right, I'm always like, I need to. All right, cool. I like what he's doing. I like, I like this. I don't like that. So I'm just picking parts from everybody I've worked with, and like, you know, it's, it's all just for my own my own monsters he doesn't have a lot of uh, yeah he just he uh, what he lacks in uh, you know really good scripts really good movies really good camera direction whatever he makes up for it in just sheer enthusiasm and uh, there's a lot to be said for that yeah definitely let's see let's see so why should Mr. Perfect be destroyed well because he sucks you know Mr. Perfect is a representation of the ruling elite and how they want to subvert and uh, enslave you know 99% of the world so one percent of it can enjoy 99% of the fruits of earth and uh, you know it's a very grim version of, of uh, our interpretation of the history the future history of this planet you know it's uh, it's not really a good forecast for the human race you know that the the room the disparity between the haves and the have-nots gets bigger and bigger and bigger every year the, the sins of the past you know how this country was built on genocide and slavery um, is there are things we have not addressed we've just kind of glossed them over and moved forward and uh, these things do need to be addressed because they're they're festering wounds that have scabbed over but uh, you know if you don't deal with the wound correctly it's gonna it's gonna end up coming out some way somewhere somehow and I guarantee you it'll be bad what this country needs is a leader that can step up and really you know put these things on the table and deal with them in a logical fashion but you know and I think a lot of people thought Barack was gonna be all about that um, we're still not really sure what the hell is going on with Barack uh, but basically Mr. Perfect is a representation of that that ultimate power gone ultimately crazy and um, that's why they need to be destroyed that's why he needs to be destroyed so he can uh, obliterate this line between the elites and the rest of us and uh, you know get this world going in the right direction again man I think just hearing you say that reminded me so much of like the old thing you did come from the old DC uh, hardcore hard punk, punk days and it's like man it's like it's like what kind of is I could say the bridge that's like you know all those bands kind of stopped and went other directions or whatever you kind of still have that venom in, oh, yeah. in your writing and it's still you feel like, you feel like you're carrying on that old DC tradition yeah definitely uh, no, we'll never forget where I came from you know I was lucky enough to be around for the birth of punk rock you know uh, the, the, the Woodstock era the hippie era was, was dying out and uh, it was, was right there for the, 
for the birth of hardcore and 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 the uh, the resurgence of metal. And uh, you know, I remember playing uh, or actually uh, being a fan and being at the Rock Against Reagan shows in DC in like in 1989, 1990. Every punk band in the world was playing. We played at the mall. In, uh, in DC, right, right in front of the Lincoln Memorial, uh, you know, Dead Kennedys, Fear, Black Flag, Minor Threat, Bad Brains, and it was like a who's who. Come on, Ed! It was like a who's who. Ed, it was like a who's who of, uh, of bands, and it was such energy and, and such rebellion and, and uh, such uh, wit and, and, and such energy, you know, it's really had an amazing effect on me, and um, it's really been like, I'll never forget where my roots are, and I've always felt that, like, I was still in that same mindset, and uh, basically, you know, when I turned 18, I stayed the same person, you know, and now I'm freaking 50 years old, you know, and I'm still doing the same thing, and my enthusiasm is undimmed, if anything, it's, uh, it's more vehement than ever, because, uh, as my days as a human become, you know, more and more numbered, you know, there's still so much I want to accomplish, and, uh, you know, and I know that Guar inspires people, you know, so if we can keep making great music, great rebel music, you know, throughout our careers, you know, until the day that I die, you know, that's, I've accepted that's my role, and, uh, you know, a lot of uh, artists work their whole lives and never get any kind of attention, never get any kind of backup, so I've really been given an amazing opportunity, and I never intend to squander a second of it. I know you have dedicated this, like, this latest record to Sexualitis. Do you have any more plans for tribute shows or anything? Well, you know, we, we every year we do the uh, the Corey Smoot uh, Memorial Show down in Richmond, and, you know, we always pay tribute to him every way, shape, or form. I mean, uh, the, the Smoot Family Fund will always be cranking. There's always money going into that. You know, I think we basically, through our fans and our efforts, uh, you know, we basically raised enough money already to put his daughter through school, you know, so it's like uh, anything we can do to honor his legacy, we always will. Um, you know, that was a real hard thing, losing a, a band member like that in the middle of a tour, you know, to a health condition that we had no idea that he had. You know, I know that when he passed, a lot of people must have been like, especially people that weren't Guar fans, because, you know, we've never been a big drug band. You know, I think that's one of the secrets to this band's longevity is that we never, you know, we're, we're pot and weed guys. We never let the hard drug things like seep into the band. Granted, when you have so many people that come in and out, there's been phases, you know, there's all kinds of crazy stuff has gone by, but, but, you know, I know when Flattis died, a lot of people probably jumped to that conclusion, and we were just as blown away as anyone else when we found out that he had a pre-existing heart condition that he basically never bothered to tell anybody about, and, you know, when you're young, you know, you're indestructible, you don't understand that there, there could be things lurking inside of your body that, you know, that can just take it all away from you like that, and so it really was like a bucket of cold water to all of our faces, but... It really made us reevaluate ourselves, and it birthed the fire inside of us not to just uh, not to just pay tribute to, to Corey and Flattis, but also like be an example to everybody uh, who's faced with such a situation. You know, we wanted to inspire people. Uh, you know, how to deal with it, you know, like, how is Guar going to possibly deal with this? Well, this is what we did. We finished the tour as a four-piece, and uh, we wrote this whole new album, of, you know, kind of about that. The Battle of Maximus is not a battle against Mr. Perfect to save the human race from in uh, medical enslavement. It's really about 
it's a metaphor for how anybody in their lives can deal with the absolute worst circumstances that life can throw at you. And um, now, finally, after uh, after getting the record out and seeing that it is critically acclaimed, uh, the fans have backed it com- completely. That they back Pustulus. I know that we've been successful, and and I hope that inspires people in their lives. You know, no matter what kind of shit uh, life takes on your fucking head, you know, there is the strength within you to somehow not only just carry on, but actually turn it into a positive, you know? Uh, and, and I hope that's what we did. Yeah, I mean, it, it does remind me that attitude of, like, you can do, you know, like, hey, you survived that, you can survive anything. You know? Exactly. And that's what passed away, and I, like, when she died, I was, like, 25 at the time, and I was like, oh, man, I kind of did it with the my aunt, but I did so much, and I was like, oh, man, I buried my mom, you know, when it's all over, I was like, wow. Nothing else really scared me or resents that, and I was like, oh, man, I get worried, but I was like, eh. I buried my mom. I could do. I could bury like the person that meant the most to me in my life at the time. Like, yeah, everything else is a lot easier. I went through the same thing. It's like I've always said. Like the there's two parts of our lives. There's a, everything that we have before our parents go, and then everything we have after it. And it's like when your parents go, you basically become that grown up person. And um, you know, if you can make it through that, and you know, then that's pretty much the hardest thing life can throw at you. And uh, but it's something that's going to happen to everybody. So you know, we can't let death kill us you know you know we're we're that one lucky group of human beings you know despite the billions that have come before us and the billions that will come after us we're the ones that are alive right now we've got this one shot at life and you better make the most of it because when it's over you don't want to be laying there on your deathbed looking back and going gee if only i could have should have would have no you want to be proud of everything you did and you want to know that you have you worked hard your whole life to, to make this world a better place, not just for you, but for the people you care about, and indeed for everybody. So it's like, I know a lot of people might be like, what the, that's a guy from Guar? But you know, Guar's always been a metaphor for much deeper, much more meaningful issues, and we just use a very strange way of getting our, our point across, and, we, and humor is a big part of that as well. So, you know, I'd like to think that Guar, at the end of the day, is a very positive, inspiring message to everyone, whether you're, whether you're into the music or the art or whether you hate it all or but you know no one can deny that Guar has been a, a, a force in, in, in our culture and has really risen to like international icon status you know we stand we still don't know exactly what we're doing it's really playing with fire and uh, you know as an artist it's just an incredible opportunity and it's one I never intend to squander I mean they, it's kind of like it's like, yeah, it's like, well, Gore has this level of, of fame. And it's like, do you, do you sometimes wonder, like, boy, is it more because, I guess 90% of it's the imagery, or if you just say, you know, if we just did, if everything we did we put out under X-Cops or, or whatever, would it still have the same effect? No, it wouldn't. Uh, Gore definitely was kind of born as a, as a visual idea. Uh, you know, it, we were doing this band Death Piggy, and then we started wearing the costumes. Uh, my friend Hunter was coming up with these crazy costumes for a movie he wanted to make called Scumdogs of the Universe, and Death Piggy was practicing right down the hall in this crazy old milk bottling factory that we were all squatting in, and um, it was just like... Uh, 
we it started as a joke, but like almost immediately we would open up for Death Biggie and we would do like three Guar songs and then we would come back and do Death Biggie. And like the first couple times that worked out pretty good, but like after the third time we noticed we'd come out there, there'd be like four hundred people crammed in there for the guar part of the show. Then we'd come back on stage for Death Biggie, there'd be like ten people left of the place. We're like, hmm, bit too fucking much perspective. But then we realized, man, we're really onto something here. So Death Biggie kind of moved to the rear and we started putting everything we had into guar. And even then I think it still took like four or five years for a lot of the people that were doing war. Well, maybe not four or five years. It took a couple of years for everyone to realize, wow, this is really getting some some trash in here. And also, we started thinking, you know, now's the sky's the limit. We've kind of brought it to the next step after Kiss, you know, after Alice Cooper. Where could it go? What where could you know, like show bands go after that? And Guar kind of took it to the next level. And even though bands like Lordy and Slipknot, and there's been a lot of like costuming bands uh, that that have, have kind of done the same thing. No one's ever done it like Guar has. No one's taken theater and comedy and and music and put it together in a live metal or a live uh, live music club rock kind of atmosphere and, and pulled it off. And um, I'm not sure why no one's really tried to do what we do. Maybe because they just think like there's, you know, it looks really hard. It looks really uncomfortable and it doesn't look like you get a hell of a lot out of it other than, you know, dirty clothes and, and, and a stinky tour bus. But, um, you know, for... I do it because I know it inspires people. I read their letters all the time. I read the emails all the time. And they're just like, you know, they're always telling me, oh, it wasn't for you, Guar, you know, blah, 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 when my mom died or when this happened, when this happened. It's like, you guys inspired me. And I know that, like, the whole thing that we just went through with Corey, um, I know that's inspired people on a whole different level. So it's like, Guar's become a real element for uh, inspirational change in a good way in people's lives. And, uh, that's something that artists work their whole lives for and never get. And, you know, we've been there for 25-plus years so far, and we're still kings of the underground. We've never changed our ideas. We've never dumbed them down. We've never written things out because we're like, oh, you know, we can't do that. It's too over the top. You know, it's like, in a way, you know, we've, we've kind of crippled ourselves in that because, like, we're like, this is who we are, and we're never going to, like, compromise. And we know full well this probably means that we're never we're only going to get to a certain level of commercial success but it's not about commercial success for me it's about it's about artistic success it's about artistic credibility and our credibility is absolutely unassailable and even if you don't like Guar don't like the music nobody can deny the fact that Guar's had a tremendous influence uh, probably the most influential underground, underground band in rock and roll history I can argue that one <laughs> <laughs> I'll give that yeah, yeah, I think I think, right. I think we're there. I mean, I'm not trying oh, not to like blow your own horn. No, no, no. It's never been about that. But it's just like it's. But you're you're a fool if you don't take a little bit of pride in what you do. Yeah, yeah. Especially you got like I said, like, you know, we have people telling you how you changed your life or you saved them from whatever. That's a lot of. I guess it's a lot of weight on like so much. Like wow, like, you mean like because if I didn't write this song, you wouldn't be here today. You know, that's that's. Sometimes it can be pretty freaky, and sometimes yeah. it's like, dude, are you sure? You know. <laughs> It can be a bit much sometimes, but, um, you know, I'm not one to diminish anybody else's feelings, and, you know, if people have strong, powerful feelings for Guar and it's influenced them in a good way, I'm, I'm really stoked about that. And um, as far as for people that it alienates and freaks out, well, that's fine, too, because you obviously need to evolve yourself a little bit as a human being. I mean, 
it's all about having a great sense of humor, I think, at the end of the day. Even if you don't get anything else out of Guar, you can probably still get a couple of laughs. We've got a few more for you real quick. No problem. Um, let's see, you worked with Devin Townsend. Oh, great, and, like, great guy. Like, when you guys do your new record, like, how is it, like, in the studio nowadays for you guys? Is it, like, easy, quick, or are you like, oh, we got this, like, you know, you guys worked with a lot of people over... Yeah, and we were taking notes the whole way. I mean, this last record was our first record that we did in our own studio that we, we've been building, and actually we built a lot of it with Corey uh, over the years, and he was basically going to be our uh, engineer and producer on this one, and uh, so it was very sad that he wasn't there for us, but he got us to that point, and there was no way that we were going to let him down. You know, and working with guys like Devin, working with guys like Ron Gowdy, working with guys like Steve Albini, I mean, so many different producers and other people we've come in contact with over the years. We've just learned so much from all of them. And, you know, on this record, it was like, you know, we've semi-self-produced a few times, but this was the first time we had our own studio, you know, and our everybody who was involved with that album, you know, is a, wasn't like just bring somebody in for two weeks and then get rid of them again. They're, they're all like war lifers, you know? And, um, you know, working with guys like Devin, we've learned so much from them, and we just really felt it was time to do it, and it actually was the greatest yet. Now, we never have to hire a producer again, we never have to fly to Vancouver to do vocal tracks, everything is done at Slate Pit Studios, and, um, you know, having that 24-7 access, you know, if you're, like, awake at 3 in the morning, all of a sudden you come up with a great idea for a song, well, boom, five minutes later, I can be in my studio, you know, recording the riff and making it happen. So will, will that open the doors for you to be producing other bands? Sure. Mm-hmm. I've already produced a couple like underground uh, bands over the years, you know, kind of small deals, but I uh, haven't done anything yet in my home studio. But yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to produce other bands. You know, in fact, Guar and and the new Slave Pit. You know, we have total in-house production facilities for everything. I mean, you know, a band could feasibly come in there, record their record. The artist for Guar can design all of their merchandise, and they can shoot their video there as well. And we can just do it for one price. But you know, right now Guar is just so busy doing its own thing. We really haven't had a chance to open up that uh, avenue. But um, yeah, now finally, the the Slave Pit is a completely. For the first time in Guar's history, we have everything we need under one roof. Our video production is there, the the studio is in there, the fabrication of studio is there, storage for all the old cop props and costumes is there, and believe me, that, those chairs are just giant. There's floor to ceiling, shelves and lofts, and everything's very well organized. We've gone through it a million times. You know, eBay old costumes, throwing old costumes away, giving old costumes away. That'd be great to see a little YouTube, like, oh, there's... Here's what the warehouse looks like. Well, I have a, I have a Tumblr account uh, under the name Maggot Master, and I do a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, so check that out. I just, I'm always just taking pictures of, uh, you know, unlikely pictures of what's going on in the slave pit. You know? You're really good at the social media. Like, you know, a lot of people kind of either do it to a degree where it's kind of superficially on there. You're 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 one of the few people that are actually like, you know, yeah, I said it. You, you can look it up. I said it a month ago. Yeah, I said it. You know, you'll still stand by what you say. I'm really... Uh, into it with that, like I've always been the guy that did the interviews and stuff for Guar, and about five years ago we went ahead and got a publicist, and I just knew that that was going to be, that was going to take it to a whole new level, so basically at that point, I just kind of stopped working in the shop so much, and I'm working on costumes and props, you know, I've got a great art department, I really don't need to be doing that, and I was able to concentrate completely on, on the social media, or just the, you know, the publicity aspect, you know, of course, a huge part of that is the social media thing, and so yeah, I run the Guar Facebook page, I've got the Odorous Twitter feed, the Dave Rocky Tumblr feed, and you know, and various other things. I actually I'm getting ready 
figured it would probably start an Instagram account as well and link that in with everything else. It's, it's an amazing opportunity. A lot of people are like, oh, don't you get sick of like, you know, getting your stuff ripped off? It's like, sure. I know people are downloading our stuff for free, but for everything the internet ever took away from us, it's given us back a, a thousandfold over again because you got absolute unlimited access to the entire rest of the world for free and it's immediate. When others tweet something objectionable, within five seconds, you know, that thing's going to be retweeted or whatever, all over the place. And that kind of just immediate, you know, you pour the gas and light the fire at the same time. And uh, I really get off on it. I really enjoy what the, what the, how the fans react to it. It's a really great way to test out ideas. And, uh, you know, it's like having a constant 24-7 platform to, like, speak directly into people's brains. And uh, sometimes those tweets are just right on the money. And the fact that I'm doing it through a character kind of adds a, a different level of fun to it. Of course, I, you know, my Facebook page and the Tumblr feed, you know, those are more just like Dave Brocky kind of things. But like the odor stuff, it's just like, it's just so much fun. It's like, you know, if, if Godzilla could type, you know, just imagine what his Twitter feed would be like. It'd be great. So I, I really enjoy the hell out of it. Yeah, we got, like, I was very, like, I thought it was, like, you were like, yeah, you were like the big first uh, metal person or whatever you want to say. Like, to, like, say anything when the whole thing with Lamagana at the launch, you're like, you were like, you're the one, like, I don't want to say spearheading, but, you know, you're the one that people took notice to first. So, like, yeah, it's like the whole thing. Does give you that little leg up versus you know somebody? Sure, it's you know I got my foot in the door, my big claw and talon through the door, and it's propped open, and I'm ready to just tear everyone a new one. As like it's pretty funny that Odorous, a character, would be one of the most respected elder statesmen of metal. You know, considering it's just like, and I always use that as an excuse when people get too butthurt over something I'm saying. It's like, do you realize that you're getting upset over something a fictional character said? I mean, that's like kind of getting mad added Homer Simpson for being a bad parent, you know, but um, at the same time I realized that like, uh, you know, sure it is, it's a thin veil for how I really feel about things, like for instance this whole Tim Lambesis thing, you know, it's like right off the bat, sure, Odorous had to make a lot of really ugly, <laughs> horrible comments, but then after a couple of days had gone by and you know, people were all, people were like, yeah, Odorous. But then I really looked at what was going on, and I was just like, you know, this is kind of screwed up. It's like, I thought our country was uh, innocent until proven guilty. And I really thought it was kind of disturbing the way the whole metal community, and, you know, maybe he is guilty of that, but, like, we should give him the benefit of the doubt until it's actually proven what's going on. And I was a little bit shocked that it seemed like the whole metal community just kind of turned their backs on the dude at once. And, uh... So owners, you know, said that as well. And, uh, you know, I'll call anybody out. If I see something that I think is bullshit, owners will call them out. And, you know, as a result, I've made some pretty serious enemies. I met him. He was like, uh, Tim was a nice guy. Like, I met him. I interviewed him a few times. And, you know, we were talking about the last time we did. We talked about his family and everything. You know? And it's like, it, there was like no, like, you didn't see his face. There was like no, like, uh, yeah, it's like, he was a nice guy. I'm giving it, I give him the benefit out because he was cool with me. So it's like, I can't. Is it too hard to like put a, put your brain around the fact that maybe the cops set him up? Maybe it was something he said in jest at, uh, when he was working out, you know? Maybe he was maybe he said something that was inappropriate that was taken absolutely the wrong way. Maybe some, you know, overzealous cop blew up the whole story and, you know, uh, 
happened to catch him when he had a thousand bucks in his pocket, so that thousand dollars became the down payment money. It wouldn't be the first time the cops have set up uh, an artist, a metal artist. You know, look what happened to, to not a metal, uh, comedian, but uh, Lenny Bruce. I mean, he was just hounded by the cops and to the point where he basically killed himself. He couldn't take it anymore. Is it so hard to believe that the the cops could have set up Tim? No, it's not. And it's like for the metal community to just ask one, turn their backs on him like that. I, I found that even more disturbing than the original charge. Let's let the courts sort that out. I remember when it used to be very important, anytime they were talking about a, a potential criminal, they always used the word allegedly. It was important to say allegedly. Now people like Nancy Grace have completely erased the word allegedly. People are tried and convicted in the court of public opinion, uh, and that's the way people are going to feel long before these things even come to trial. So it's Before they even get people to go in their jury. Uh-huh. Your jury's already colored. How can you possibly have a jury, the way social media is that is so pervasive in our lives at so many levels, how can you possibly have a jury that's impartial? It just is not going to happen. I feel like I'm in DC 19. This is such an awesome. So let's get ready to wrap this up because I'm going to take too much more of your time because I can do this all night, man. Um, you're big into comedy. So, you mentioned Lenny Bruce. Like, what other comedians? Who are a few of your favorite comedians and how have they influenced you? Well, I was growing up, the, the first thing that really, the first comic influence that really got me was the, the Monty Python guys. My parents were English, so when they started showing Monty Python's Flying Circus on PBS, you know, when I was just a little kid, it really had a huge impact on me because my parents were English. They I kind of understood a lot of the humor a lot better than most most Americans would, and I just like really reacted very strongly to their just completely absurd Dada-esque way. Of, of just like making jokes that weren't even funny that were just weird and obtuse and awkward and the way they would throw like totally over the top cartoon violence into it you know uh, then later you know I became I was a big Steve Martin fan from the very beginning guys like Andy Kaufman and then you know later you know a lot of those sad comedians that Belushi was a huge huge influence on me I remember going to see Animal House like 20 times in the theater it was so, such a big thing for me um uh, contemporary comedians, I like Doug Stanhope a lot. Uh, there's a lot of really great guys out there. Um, I can't keep up with them. There's so many great ones. Jim Brewer's great. Um, there's just a ton of them that, uh, you know, uh, Louis C.K. is great. I mean, there's just so many, so many guys now. Um, and I just have the most tremendous amount of respect for stand-up comedians. I mean, that is like the hardest thing to do in the world. I've tried my hand at stand-up every now and then. And I do a lot better when I have a band behind me. You know, it's like when it's just you out there with a microphone. And that's one of the hardest things to do in the world. Make me laugh. Yeah, and it's just like uh, I have so much respect for those guys. And it's not surprising that a lot of them die well before their time is over because, you know, it's just such an incredible, stressful way of living. I'm looking at you, it's like, can I probably going to have, like, like, we're just waiting for the day where you're gonna give us like, there's gonna be like a ton of books, and I wonder if they're gonna be by day we're gonna be under odorous. Well, I couldn't really write a novel that's odorous. That would be. I mean, oh I, guess, God, like, I could. Uh, like, like, like the comedy books, like the whole uh, Carlin comedy. Well, I've been doing a thing for a Richmond website called uh, Guar Me and the On Wrestling Group of Death, and it's kind of a, uh, a behind the scenes, like it's kind of an autobiography. Uh, I got up to like chapter chapter sixty four, and I, I took a break for the last year, but I'm gonna get back into it this year, and then I'm gonna publish them in novels of 50 chapters apiece and I got as far, I got to chapter 64 and we were, we still hadn't uh, even been to Europe yet so it's like there's a lot of stories out there to tell still and so I'll be picking that up again 
interesting. Yeah, the story, the story of Bar and the behind-the-scenes story, and, and the stories of all the guys that made this thing happen, guys and girls that made this thing happen, is, is every bit as interesting, or even more so than you know, Guar's adventures throughout the cosmos. So, you know, there's a lot of there's a Guar's a real gold vein, a real gold mine, and uh, and we're a bunch of miners, and, and we're tapping into it still. So. Yeah, I really enjoy writing. It's, it's I always did write, but like uh, since the media thing has really blown up so much in the last five years, I've been doing a lot more of it, and uh, and I enjoy the heck out of it. So, and that's something I can do until they haul me off to the six feet under. It's like I'll still be typing away. That last one last one. lineup members coming going. Is there anybody from the lineup? I mean. Is- can you like walk up to any of the? Can you walk up to any of the old members and like, hey man, how you doing? Or is it like, ah, fuck you? No, no, all the guys. Animosity. No, God no. We all get along fine. I mean, like, I, it's a big family, and like any family, it, it has a certain amount of dysfunction to it. I mean, there's nobody in this band that I dislike. Some of the guys I'm closer to than others, but we all have a tremendous amount of respect for each other. We, especially after what we went through with Corey. I mean, that was really kind of put everything into perspective. It's like, if we can get through this, you know, then there's nothing this band can't do. And uh, everybody stepped up and really made it happen. And um, and we all valued, valued each other a lot more, I think, after that. It's like, wow, no matter what's going on at any moment, you know, it could be completely changed. You know, you could lose somebody like that. And somebody you take it for granted, maybe. Someone who was like a huge part of your life to the point where like they were as important as one of your feet. But like, you never really took the time to tell them how much you love them and how much you care about them and how much you'd do anything for them and and how much you've been privileged and honored to work with them all these years. I mean, it's like all these guys who, who have been a part of war, they've really kind of put everything else in their life. You know, it's like being in war is a gigantic commitment. And for anyone to take that step and, and to continue with it is just, is to me, it's like, oh, what are you, crazy? You know? So I think that, it, it, you know, one of the positive things that came out of Corey's death, bless his heart, was that I think we all had a new appreciation for each other, and I think it shows in the way we treat each other, and, and the way the music's sounding, and, and, the, and the show, because not only I think it made us appreciate each other more, it made us appreciate more and more, it's like, at any moment, at any moment we, might, we, we might not be able to do this anymore, so we better take full advantage of every second that we've got, because you only get one chance, and yeah, you better you better put everything you've got into it, because you don't want to be laying on your deathbed going, shoulda, woulda, coulda. Thanks for checking out today's podcast. Follow, like, and subscribe wherever you hear these podcasts. Also check out Ghost Cult Magazine on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And finally check us out at ghostcultmag.com. We're out. Peace.